You know, the, uh, the hymn we sang earlier, Come Thou Fount, there's a line in there that really strikes at my heart uh, oftentimes when I sing it, and maybe it strikes yours as well. You know, when the hymn writer says, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know, there's something in our, about our hearts that we are just, you know, we are prone to wonder. And at times, it's not that we, uh, we're, we, we, we're wondering away from God because of some bad thing. It's actually we tend to seek out even what is good uh, without seeking it from God. And so we either you know, tend to add to what God has done through Christ. We add to the gospel or we wander away and we subtract from the gospel. And this is our tendency that we, you know, we try to seek out satisfaction or fulfillment or meaning or purpose or forgiveness or love. We try to seek all these good things out, but we try to do it apart from God. We wander. We wander away. We add to the gospel. We subtract from the gospel. Uh, we try to pervert, so to speak, what Christ has done for us. And you know, there's a, uh, I was watching a talk show just a few weeks ago, and there was a, a young lady on there, and she was a single lady, and she was on this show because they were dealing with these certain types of relationships. And what happened with her is that she uh, wanted to pursue a relationship, which is not a bad thing, so she, she's trying to pursue a good thing, um, and what she decides to do is to put her profile on one of these uh, online dating services, which there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and the way they work is that you, you put your profile on this online dating service, and so you put your picture up there, so, you know, people can have an idea what you look like. You put some information about yourself, maybe hobbies, what, you're, what you like, and then what you can do is kind of scroll through and see if anybody, you know, is on there that you're interested in. And if you are interested in that person, you can send them an email or contact them and, and see if they'll respond. And then you can build a relationship from there and see where it's going to go. And that's what she had done. She put her information on this, you know, online dating service. Um, and she got a response from this, this gentleman. And so she responded and then... Several weeks went by, months went by, and there's this relationship being built primarily over the telephone. They started talking over the telephone and getting to know each other, and she was falling more and more in love with this person. And so she's pursuing this you know, loving relationship. She's pursuing a good thing, but there were a few things that just weren't adding up. And she had a friend uh, with her on this show, and a few things just weren't adding up. One is that this man said he was from Houston, Texas. But he had like a foreign accent. And so that was the first kind of red flag. And he wouldn't tell her exactly where he lived in Houston. Just kind of gave a general idea where you know he's from. And then there were other times too where they were planning on meeting up together. But for some reason, they you know, last minute he couldn't meet with her. One reason was, you know, he's a petroleum engineer and he was on this oil platform in the middle of the ocean and they were attacked by pirates. Which is a good reason. If you, you know, tagged by pirates, I can't make the meeting. I can understand that. But there was never any news about, you know, 
this oil platform in the middle of the ocean being attacked by these pirates. And so all these things were kind of you know, adding up and people, her friends were like, you know, this just doesn't, something's not right here. And that's how she made it onto this talk show <laughs> because it was just something wasn't adding up. And so the talk show, the whole purpose of it was, okay, let's get to the truth here. Does this man really exist? Is this, is this relationship based on truth or is it based on a lie? And so they did some digging around. They found out, in fact, it was based on a lie. And this is what was happening. Uh, these, these men, you know, around the world in the States as well, who, who spoke English, what they would do is they would steal someone's identity. And so they would take a picture from off the Internet or somewhere of somebody else. And they would pretend that was them. And they'd put it up on the profile in the online service. And they would make up a story about who they are. And then once they started talking to somebody, they would keep the relationship going as much as they could. And over time, they would start asking for money and different things like this. And so they were making money by deceiving people. They were deceiving people who wanted a relationship. But these people that were these counterfeits, uh, were trying to manipulate them through a lie to help them try to get what they wanted to get, but at the same time, they were trying to profit from it as well. Now, if you saw somebody that you knew falling into that type of trap, what would you do? Would you say, well, you know, as long as they're happy, I mean, she seems happy, you know, going along with this man, so what if he's not real? <laughs> She's happy. Well, they won't ever be able to meet in person, but hey, they're talking on the phone. She seems to be, you know, fine with that. Would you just say, well, I'm not going to say anything? Well, of course not. Because you know eventually this is going to be devastating. This is going to lead uh, to destruction. It's not going to lead to life, so to speak. And so uh, you would say in some way, shape, or form, um, this isn't adding up. I think you're pursuing a good thing, but I don't think the way you're doing it is, is good, and I actually think you're being deceived. That's what you would do if you really cared about somebody. And in fact, in a similar way, this is exactly how we uh, have received this letter called Galatians. This is how this letter was birthed. Because the Apostle Paul had made his way through the Galatian region on his first missionary journey. And you can read more about that in Acts 13 and 14. And he had shared the gospel of Christ. He had shared that, you know, with these people who, for the most part, they wanted to know God. And they were pursuing God in so many other different ways. What Paul would point out would be ways other than the right way. And so he shared the gospel with them. How God sent His own Son, Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that you can have your sin forgiven and you can enter into a relationship with God. And he saw lots of people respond and place their faith in Christ. And he saw all these local churches started. And then he went on from there to plant more churches. Then he heard that a group of people had moved into Galatia and they were beginning to try to discredit Paul and who he is and was and what his mission was and they began to discredit the gospel and in Paul's words they began to pervert the gospel and so Paul writes this letter he fires off this letter to the Galatian Christians in order to expose these people who are 
perverting the gospel. And so, as you read the book of Galatians, you're going to see he's, he's going to be exposing the people who are perverting the gospel. And he's going to show you how the true gospel works its way out in, in, in our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at over this series in Galatians. And there's a great little preface to this book, if you can pick it up. Uh, it's online, or I can give you a, a paraphrased version of it, but it's by the great reformer Martin Luther. He writes a preface to this book, of, to, to the letter of, to the Galatians. And in this preface, he, he contrasts two types of righteousness, which I think is important to understand as we make our way through this book. On the one hand, Luther says, there's this uh, righteousness that, you, that may could be called uh, works righteousness, or active righteousness. And this is what he would say is the default mode of the human heart. This is why we wander away from the God we love, because we have this default mode in our heart to go after works righteousness. And this is why, for example, in Islam, you have the five pillars of what you must do in order to try to merit the mercy of God. Or you have in Buddhism, the eightfold path. All the religions of the world have this ladder that we try to climb in order to take hold of God and have a relationship with God. Because that's the default mode of the heart, that we have this, this propensity towards works righteousness. And so uh, that's, that's where we are. That's, our, that's what we gravitate towards. It's like if you had a car that was severely out of alignment. You know how you're riding down the road and it's always pulling you to the right or it's always pulling you to the left? That's what Martin Luther's saying. He's saying that, that which is pulling you away from the gospel is works righteousness. You want to try to earn your way to God. You think that you can be good enough for God to accept you. And then he contrasts that with what he calls passive righteousness. And he says that passive righteousness is what Paul talks about in the Bible when he talks about the righteousness of faith. Christian righteousness. And this is a righteousness that is imputed to you or given to you. And so he would say this, you know, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is you don't become righteous in yourself that you have somehow earned it, but rather you have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to you. Some call this the great exchange. So when Christ died for your sin, He took on your sin, and then what He gave you in return is His righteousness, His you know, rightness with God. And so He takes your sin, you receive His righteousness. You don't earn it, you can't do anything for it, you can't give anything for it, you just receive it. And that's why Martin Luther calls it a passive, it's a passive righteousness. It's not an active righteousness. You don't earn it. You can't do anything for it. You just receive it. And like I said, in other places, Paul says that, you know, you're, you're clothed with Christ. It's not your righteousness that makes you right with God, but it's the righteousness given to you by Christ. It's a passive righteousness. And with that type of idea in mind, you know, Paul, he shoots this letter to the Galatians to deal with how the gospel is being perverted. And I want to read to you uh, verses 8 and 9 just to show you the severity of the issue here. 
Because you may think, well, what's, you know, what's the big deal? Um, is this really that big of an issue? And listen just how Paul puts it in verses 8 and 9. He says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should come to you and preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be anathema, you know, cursed, eternally condemned. So he's saying, even if I were to come back to you and tell you something different than what I've already preached to you, and he's going to make the case throughout the letter that what I preached to you came from Christ himself. It is the gospel of Christ. If I come to you and I preach something different, or if an angel from heaven were to come to you and preach something different, let them be eternally condemned. I mean, that's how serious this this issue is of getting the gospel right and not perverting the gospel. And so Paul fires off this letter and he deals with what is at the cornerstone of our faith and of our church. It's the gospel. That is the cornerstone. It's the foundation because the gospel is all about who Christ is and what he's done for us. In other words, we do not want to get that wrong. We do not want to wander away from that truth. And so the letter to the Galatians is to bring a correction to a potential um, perversion of the gospel message. Now look at verses 6 and 7. He says to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so what was happening in their context was that people were coming in and they were saying, yes, you need, you know, you need to place your faith in Christ. He's the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins. Absolutely, you need to place your faith in Him. Receive Him as your King, your Lord, your Savior. That's true. But you also need to, and just fill in the blank. For them it was, you also need to be circumcised. You also need to adhere to the Old Testament law and the ceremonial laws. In other words, you had to accept Christ and become Jewish to be a Christian. Let me try to illustrate it like this. Let's say I were to give you a you know, cold glass of milk. Assuming that you're not allergic to milk. Then if you are, just fill it in with another yummy beverage. Okay? So you have a, you have a, you know, a cold glass of milk. And I hand it to you, and then you're about to drink it. I say, hold, hold on a second. Let me, let me have that bag just for a moment. And I just put one little red drop in there that just dis- dissipates into the whiteness of the milk. And, and I said, here you go. And you're looking at it and you think, okay, well, before I drink this, you know, what, what did you put in the milk? What was that little drop, that little red drop? I'm like, well, it's, it's really not much, you know. It's just, it was just a small drop of, of blood with, you know, infected with the HIV virus. It's not much, just one little drop. And I, it's 99% milk, really. I mean, this little drop, no big deal. Just drink it. And you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not drinking the milk. And I say, well, why not? And you say, well, when you put that drop in there, it was no longer milk. You've changed it. Instead of something that would bring you know, life and, 
and be refreshing, you've created something that would bring death and destruction. And that's what was happening to the gospel. Yes, you need to place your faith in Christ, but you also need to put in the drop. Whatever that may be. For them, it was you need to adopt some of the Old Testament law. You need to become Jewish and accept Christ if you're going to have salvation. And so Paul says, no, no, you're perverting the gospel because you're trying to add to what Christ has done. Now the question is for us, how do we do that? And because John Stott said, he said the devil disturbs the church as much by error as by evil. The devil disturbs the church as much by error as he does by evil. Now evil sometimes easy to pinpoint, but what about error? Jesus plus just something else. It just sneaks in. And next thing you know, you're pursuing a relationship with someone who is not who you think they are. So here's, some couple, here's a few ways I think we, we pervert the gospel. On the one hand, we try to add to the gospel. In other words, we kind of like the, these false teachers in, in Galatia. This is what we do. We say, yes, you need to place your faith in Christ, but you also need to you know, just fill in the blank. And this is kind of the mindset I had when I had first become a Christian. I had placed my faith in Christ. I understood that, okay, I come to Christ. I receive forgiveness for my sin. But I still did not fully understand the sufficiency of what Jesus had done for me. And so I had kind of the mindset that, you know, Jesus paid 80% of my sin debt, so to speak. But that last 20%, I kind of had to crank it out myself. And so I'd go to church, read my Bible, Memorize scripture, pray. I would you know, share my faith with other people. Those are good things, but what I was thinking in my mind is I do these things so that I can fill in the gap. Fill in the 20%. In other words, I need, I need Christ, but I also need to be a good person or I'm not going to be accepted by God. That's one way we do it. We try to add our works righteousness to the passive righteousness of Christ thinking that that equation equals acceptance by God. Now, on the other hand, this is how we subtract from the gospel. We look at our lives and we say, you know, I have, if God, you know, God knows all the things I've done. And I just, I don't see how he could ever accept a person like me. You know, if you really knew all the things I've done, and what's really in my heart. God, God could never accept me. For what, because of what I've done. That may sound humble. But it's really not. Because that position also. Perverts the gospel. And cheapens the gospel. Both positions cheapen the gospel. Because this position over here says. You know Christ what you did was great. But it wasn't enough. In other words. Your arm is too short. To reach where I am. In other words, so you're taking the gospel of Christ and what he's done, the work of Christ, and you're minimalizing it. And so both ways, whether you're over here thinking that it's your good works that are going to get you into heaven plus Jesus, or you're over here thinking, I'm so bad, Jesus can't save me. Both ways 
pervert the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. Because like Martin Luther said, both of us tend to think that we have some part to play, some thing to bring to the table to the salvation equation. And he says, no, it is only what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you have to just receive it. Put it on. Not that plus what you do. And so what we see is we have this heart that's like a car out of alignment that we keep swerving off into this works righteousness thinking, you know, get beating ourselves up because we're so terrible or saying, you know, I'm a pretty good, I'm a good person. I'm going to just keep cranking out these good works. This is going to get me to God. And all the while we're running into the ditch on both sides of the road. And what we see here in Paul's emphasis here is it's the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that keeps our lives on path with God. That's it. It's only what Christ has done. The gospel is the answer to our wandering heart. And so what we need to do, and I've heard many people say this before, and maybe you've heard it too, is what we need to do is preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And I want to show you something here in this first just few verses of this letter. Remember, now there are, there are plenty of places in the Bible where Paul preaches the gospel to those who do not know Christ, right? I mean, that's what we think of. When you preach the gospel, you preach the gospel to those who don't know Christ. Well, who is Paul writing this letter to? He's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. In other words, he's saying, okay, the church needs to be reminded of the gospel. And that's why even in the very introduction, he reminds them of what Christ has done. So look with me at verses 1 through 5 and, just, and listen for the gospel in this. Paul, an apostle, sent from men, not by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch it? Jesus gave Himself for our sins, which tells you, okay, we have a sin problem, and that's what separates us from God. And by sending Jesus Christ, that deals with our sin problem. He gave Himself on the cross for our sins. And then it says, well, what does that accomplish? Well, He rescues us from this present evil age. In other words, there is, a, there is an age we live in where the age is characterized by living life apart from God. And He says, Jesus comes, He gives Himself for our sins in order to rescue us from this present evil age. Now, when you think of rescue, how many people are usually involved in that? Usually more than one. Because one, you have a person who needs rescuing. You know, rarely do you see a news story that says, you know, yeah, this guy, he was drowning and then he rescued himself <laughs> and swam to shore. It wouldn't have made the news. <laughs> that, so what? You know, that... Does that really rescue if you save yourself? No. The only way you and I are rescued 
is by what Christ has done for you and for me. That's it. That is the gospel. And so he reminds us of the gospel in the very beginning of this letter. And he reminds the churches in Galatia that you need to remember what the true gospel is. So how do you and I, how do we uh, remind ourselves, preach the gospel to ourselves daily? Well, one is, read the scripture. Just read the scripture and be reminded about what God has done for you. Prayer is a great um, individual discipline, this communication with God, that you can be reminded of the gospel. And also, and this is very important, and we even prayed about this several times this morning in the opening prayer and when Jimmy prayed earlier, you know, praying for those that we can, you know, we want people to gather together. This is very important that we gather together. You know, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 Verses 24 and 25 say this. The writer says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice that he doesn't say, you know, what we need to do is we need to work more, you know, we need to play golf more, we need to sleep more. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says we don't need to neglect Meeting together. There's something to be said about meeting together with the church, with other believers. And I think the main reason for that is that we, it's there in that community that we are reminded of the gospel. You know, D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, church attendance, and what he means here is, you know, when you gather together with the church, with other believers, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. And if you've ever seen anyone who is low on blood, they're weak, they're not as alert, but then when they have that transfusion, it's almost like they come to life. And he says that's what gathering with the people of God will do. As you are reminded of the gospel... It will help you to see that life comes from Christ. And so some ways that we can preach the gospel to ourselves, read the scripture, prayer, and gathering with the church is is very important. And that's why we stress here in our church. We, We want more people to gather because we think it's important. We think that's how the gospel is preached and you're reminded of the gospel on a consistent basis is when you gather with the church. And so that's why we have Sunday school. And that's why we say we want 100 people in Sunday school by the end of the year. And that's why we gather here at 11 o'clock to be reminded of the gospel. And that's why we want you 125 people here by the end of 2014. Why? Is that just an arbitrary number? No, it's we want more people to hear the gospel and be reminded of the gospel because we know that's where life comes from. And so, as you... Saying that hymn, Come Thou Fount. You know, we sang it and perhaps it was moving from just your vocal cords and touching your heart when you said, you know, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Then what does the hymn writer say? Well, I'm going to take my heart and I'm going to do better this week. 
I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to go to every event the church is offering. <laughs> I'm going to read my Bible every day. No, he didn't say that. All those are good things, but they don't make you right with God. He says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And I think he's right. If you sense that wandering of your heart, you need to go to the Lord. And you need to ask the Lord to take your heart, take and seal it. You need to go to Him and be reminded of what He has done through Christ. Not what you have done or what you will do, but you need to be reminded of what Christ has done. Because it's only through the righteousness of Christ that we are made acceptable to God. So whether you know Christ or not, that should be your prayer. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let us pray. Lord, that is our prayer. Because we all have wandering hearts. And Lord, we confess that. And Lord, we just ask that you would take our hearts, take and seal them. Help us to be reminded of the gospel. Help us to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. That if we have faith in Christ, then we have been clothed with His righteousness. And we are acceptable in Your sight. Lord, help us to remember that. In Christ's name, Amen.